It is uh, good to be looking at God's word um, with you, however far we are separated by distance uh, this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Psalm 23, Psalm uh, chapter 23, as we are continuing our our journey, um, our kind of slow, meandering walk through the 23rd Psalm that we started last week, and it is going to be a slow, kind of meandering uh, walk, and sometimes we are going to uh, stop and smell the roses, um, and that's what we're doing this morning as we, we came across this this little rose last week uh, in referring to God as our shepherd. And we're just going to kind of take a moment and uh, stop here and, and smell the roses, particularly as we examine this word shepherd and what it means for us as, as God's people. Um, and so we're going to look at Psalm 23, particularly verse 1, particularly uh, the first half of verse 1. And not just the first half of verse 1, but particularly one single word, the word shepherd this morning. And we're going to explore what that means for us as God's people. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. Let's listen with reverence and joy. This is the word of our God through the pen of his servant David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this, uh, this precious poem, this precious prayer that shows us something of the intimacy of our relationship with you as our God and shepherd. Would you use um, the words of my mouth to edify your people as I expound on this psalm? And would you let the words of my mouth be in true accordance with what is revealed here so that what is said is true and potent by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Kent Hughes tells the story of um, Ingmar Bergman, who was a, uh, a well-known um, well-loved Swedish filmmaker. And one day while uh, Bergman was listening to the music of Igor Stravinsky, Bergman apparently became so enraptured in the music and 
began to have a, a sort of vision um, that he was uh, in a 19th century cathedral. And uh, he was just kind of wandering around this, this cathedral, looking at all of the beautiful sights, amazed by uh, its aesthetics. And eventually he, he came to a, a painting of Jesus, a painting of Jesus. And apparently he, he thought this was significant. He thought this was spiritually significant for him. So Bergman said to the painting, speak to me will not leave until you speak to me. The picture, however, did not speak. The painting did not speak. And that same year, Bergman went on to produce a film called The Silence, which told the stories of characters who had searched for God and disappointed, despaired, of ever finding him. That was the, the interpretation of his own experience in his own life. Bergman thought of himself as a, as a seeker and a disappointed one at that, and thus he despaired of ever finding and knowing God. Of course, we know that Bergman's experience um, and, and the experience of, of those that his film depicts uh, are not alone in this. There are many in our world who throughout their lives despair of ever actually knowing and finding God and being known by God. They feel him distant. They feel him indifferent to uh, their experiences, their suffering, their, their sin. And so they, they think him far off and unconcerned about the trials and, and troubles of humanity, which if one is honest must inevitably lead to a kind of despair and, and hopelessness. As John Piper once said, he said, every soul needs a shepherd. Every soul needs a shepherd. And he's right. We all need someone. We all need not just someone, but the someone to take care of us, to watch out for us, to guide us, to provide for us, to protect us. And without our possessing this shepherding care, we descend into the depths of despair and hopelessness. That's why Jesus, he once looked out on a crowd, as it tells us in Matthew 9.36. And it says that, that as he looked out on this crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. It is a, a horrendous, despair-producing thing to be and to live like a sheep without a shepherd. Well, the good news this morning is that you don't need to live like a sheep without a shepherd. You don't need to live that way at all. Your soul can possess a shepherd, and not just a shepherd, but the shepherd. You can have the shepherd because God has declared himself to be such a shepherd to his very own covenant Lambs. And so last week we began our slow walk through Psalm 23, wherein we looked at this first phrase of the poem, the Lord is my shepherd. We unpacked a little bit each word. Well, this morning I'd like to look at this one word, this word shepherd. David says that the Lord is his shepherd. And likewise, we learned last week that for all of those who are in Christ, all of us, all of us who are Christians trusting in 
God. The Lord is not just David's shepherd and our shepherd, but the Lord is your shepherd. You can say the same thing as David here with complete and total confidence if you trust in Christ that God is your shepherd. But now what do we mean by that? What do we mean when we call God our shepherd. What, what exactly is this, this metaphor kind of illustrating to us about our relationship with God and of his care for us? That's briefly what we want to consider this morning. What we see here in Psalm 23 is that when we call God our shepherd, it's this kind of, this kind of multi-layered metaphor that speaks to us about God's presence with us, his, his piloting of us, his provision for us, and his protection of us. Four things. They all start with P, presence, piloting, provision, protection. And we'll take them in that order. So first we see that to call God our shepherd means to say that he is, he's present with us. Of course, we discussed last week the reality that, that an ancient Near Eastern shepherd did life with his sheep, so to speak. He was almost always with them. It's why he was able to pilot and provide and, and, and protect them. It's why his sheep knew him and, and knew his voice and trusted him enough to follow his guidance because the shepherd was present with the sheep. Well, similarly, here to speak about God as shepherd is to say that he is present with his sheep. And that's why David says here in verse 4 that even while he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he's not afraid. Why? Because he says to a shepherd, you are with me. A true shepherd is present with the sheep. And, and of course, our God is a God who is present with his people. Uh, in fact, in one sense, this is really what the entirety of the Bible is about, what the entirety of the history of redemption is about, how, how a holy God can dwell with sinful people. The, the, the way things were in the beginning, God was, was with us, with his people in the garden. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in this garden paradise as, as a kind of place where heaven and earth overlapped, wherein God dwelled with and was present with his people. And of course, we know that, that Adam and Eve fell from their original state, dragging all of their children along with them. And now the God who is so good cannot dwell in the midst of humanity who is so bad. And yet, that's the goal of creation in the first place, that God might have a people in the midst of which he might dwell. And so he executed his plan. That was his intention for us and for his world. So he executed this plan to make things right between us so that he would dwell with us and be personally present with us Again, that is the entirety of the story of the Bible, how God might dwell in the midst of a sinful people. And this plan started with God dwelling in the midst of the nation of Israel in a tent and that they called the tabernacle and later on in a temple that King Solomon built. But that was only a temporary plan. That was only a temporary plan. God's plan all along was not merely to dwell in the midst of his people in a building made of brick and mortar. But his intention 
was to make his people into his temple. His intention was to dwell in the midst of his people in the most intimate and personal way. His plan was to dwell inside of his people within their own bodies and souls. So that no matter where we are or what we're doing, no matter whether we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or on the mountaintop, God is with us. That is the gift of the new covenant when God sent the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in the hearts of his people. And what that means, Christian, is that God is with you. He will always be with you. He is with you forever. And we start with that particular part of God's shepherding of us because it's the foundation for all the rest. It's the foundation for all the rest. His being present with us and in us means that he is always there to pilot us and to provide for us and to protect us. So next, let's, let's, let's look at God's piloting of us. Part of what it means when we say that God is shepherd is that he, he pilots us. It's to say he guides us and he leads us. Now, admittedly, I, as a city boy, I don't know much about sheep, um, but according to Kent Hughes, the existence of sheep is the, the, prima, the prima facie uh, evidence against the theory of evolution. Uh, apparently, sheep are so dumb that it is a wonder that they have survived as long as they have. They have no sense of direction. Uh, they wander off easily. They're extremely stubborn. And you know, that feels like an apt description of humanity in some ways, doesn't it? As Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's to say, we, all of us wander off from God's will and design. All of us have departed from God's right paths and wandered off into the wilderness of sin and heartache. But for those of us who call God shepherd, we can say with David here, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in right paths. He guides me in the direction that I ought to go, and he pilots me as the old hymn says. He is our ever-present and faithful guide in life. I don't know the way. You don't know the way. I don't know the right way to live on my own. You don't know the right way to live on your own, but he teaches us and he guides us. And indeed, that, that is good news. But I know people well enough to know that that doesn't feel like good news to some of us. The idea that God has a specific path that he intends for us to walk on feels sometimes to some of us oppressive, doesn't it? The fact that he has actually given moral commands in scripture that he intends for us to submit to and obey feels restrictive. But to, to think and feel that way is to completely misunderstand God's commands and intentions for us. You, you have to see and understand that he is the one who created you. He, he is the one who designed you and this world. And so to live according to his commands, according to his righteous paths, means to live according to your design. It means to live in the way that you were created and meant and designed to live. Maybe it would help to think of it this way. It's, let me ask you a question. Can you eat glass? Can you eat glass? Of course, you, you can eat glass in, in a sense. I mean, I, I guess it would be possible. 
but it's not what it was designed for, and that's not what you were designed for. It's only actually going to lead to pain and heartache, possibly even death if you do it enough, I don't know, because it is to live contrary to your design and the design of glass And in the same way, to wander off from God's right paths, to ignore and disobey his commands is something that you can certainly do for a time, but that's not what you were designed for. And and so it will inevitably lead to something less than human flourishing and actually set you on a collision course with reality, namely judgment. But to live according to God's commands, to walk on his right paths is to live the way you were made and designed to live. I remember years ago, a roommate and and close friend of mine, he worked at a coffee shop on Brown Street here in town that's no longer there. And there's this Dayton police officer that would come in uh, fairly often, regularly to get coffee when he was working and just come in in his uniform and all that. One day he came in without the uniform on. And uh, so my friend asked him what was going on. And the officer mentioned that it was his day off and just ordered some coffee. My friend got him his coffee and and that was that. He was on his way out. And while this, this police officer was on his way out, my friend said to him, have a good day on your day off. And the police officer turned around and he said to my friend, don't tell me what to do. And, and uh, that was a, a joke, obviously, or at least I hope it was. Um, but there's an illustration there that, that in essence, what God is telling us to do when he gives us commands, he's, he's, he's blessing us. And he's calling us to live according to his design, to live whole and flourishing lives, to live the good life. And yet when we disobey him, we're telling him, don't tell me what to do. Don't bless me with your right paths in human flourishing. And you see, even though in our sin we have a natural aversion to being piloted and guided and led by God. It is a great benefit and blessing that we receive in his shepherding care for us. And if we're wise, we will recognize this. We'll come to say with, with the psalmist David in, in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. How I love your commands. We'll come to delight in God's leadership and guidance and piloting, knowing that his ways are best and his wisdom is better than our foolishness. Abraham Kuyper once said that in knowledge of of this, in knowledge of the benefits and blessing of God's good commands, we Christians can adjust ourselves to God's commands, not by force, as though they were a yoke of which we would like to rid ourselves, but with the same readiness with which we follow a guide through the desert, recognizing that we are ignorant of the path which the guide knows, and therefore acknowledging that there's no safety but in closely following in his footsteps. We need his piloting. And by his grace, because he is our shepherd, we possess it. And next we see in calling God our shepherd, not only, we not only mean that he's present with us and that he pilots us, but also we see that it means that he provides for our needs. Being our shepherd, God being our shepherd means provision. That's why the psalmist can say with complete and total confidence on the heels of calling God as good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Of course, when he speaks of not wanting, he doesn't mean I have no desires. 
Uh, Christianity is not Buddhism. We don't think that desire is is a bad thing. Uh, Instead, he means uh, that he has no needs that aren't met. Uh, and, And he beautifully illustrates this point by saying, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So green pastures being a a provision for sheep to rest and to eat. And the still waters being a provision for the sheep to drink and be refreshed. It's a beautiful metaphor. It shows God's care for his covenant lambs. And indeed, the scriptures continually witness again and again to the reality that God provides for the needs of his people. Even, even when the Israelites wandered through the barren desert for 40 years in a place where, wherein food and water was scarce, he gave them manna and meat and water in a place where they found them. As, as, as Nehemiah 9.20 recalls in this praise-filled prayer, does they recall God's faithfulness faithfulness to the Israelites in the desert. He says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. And God so provided for and cared for them that at the end of their journey in Deuteronomy 29, 5, the Lord says to Israel, I've not led you 40 years. Have I not led you 40 years in the wilderness? Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. It's amazing. He provided for their food and drink and clothing, their essential needs, so that they couldn't say that they lacked anything. He provides for our every need to this day. That's why Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread. Jesus doesn't tell us to pray for things that God doesn't intend to answer and provide for. And if he said, he said that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all of our needs of clothing and food and drink will be added to us. That's why David could say by way of testimony in Psalm 37, 25, I've been old, or I've been young and am now old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. That's why even in the midst of these these uncertain times, even though we don't know what's going to happen with the the economy, you may not know what is going to happen with your job, you may not know what is going to happen with your employer and your finances, you can know and bet on this, Christian, that God is your ever-abundant, ever-faithful, ever-true-to-his-word provider of his covenant lambs. And so he will provide for you. Let me take this as an opportunity to to say again, I know I've said it to you several times recently, Veritasers, but let me say it again. One of the means through which God continues to provide for his children is his people. We know that financially hard times are coming for many in the near future. There's going to be job loss and wage decrease and layoffs and the like for many people. And, And God has instructed and formed his people in such a way that local churches are to put aside money for emergency assistance for those in need, and we have done that as a church. And if you ever find yourself without the needs, the the means in your possession to purchase your needs, the church is here for you. If you have a need and you make it known, it will be met. God will provide for you through his church. He is your shepherd. He is your Jehovah Jireh. He is your 
provider. And we know this, of course, because he's provided for our deepest and truest need, hasn't he? Food and drink and clothing and the like are, are real needs and they're important. But they're not our deepest need. Our deepest need is forgiveness for our sins and reconciliation to God as our shepherd. And he has provided precisely that in sending Christ Jesus, the true bread from heaven, which eternally satisfies. He is the perfect son of God who died on the cross and rose on the third day so that the guilt of sin would be removed from us and so that we would be reconciled to God and have his presence with us forever. And so now, if we only receive him by faith, that deepest need is met in full. And if he is willing to provide for our deepest and most costly need, he will most certainly provide for every other need as well. As the apostle says in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Indeed, God has given us Christ, and in and with Christ, He has given us everything we need. Which includes and brings us lastly to protection. To call God our shepherd is to say that we have His presence, His piloting, His provision, and His protection. Right off the bat, we need to recognize that God's protection doesn't, doesn't mean that we'll never meet with adversity and affliction in life. Of course, on, on the one hand, I'm convinced that we spend most of our lives vastly unaware of all the practical dangers that God has and is and will protect us from. Who knows, apart from his protecting hand, what kinds of difficulties and dangers we would face every single day. But on the other hand, remember that whilst penning this psalm, David is walking through some sort of difficulty in life, possibly even having a near-death experience. In verse 4, he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. He says in verse 5 that he's surrounded by enemies. And we know from David's story that he faced many adversities and afflictions in life. He had lost loved ones. He'd been betrayed by friends and family members. He had been slandered and gossiped about by others. He had been persecuted by the powerful and elite, even by the king himself prior to David's rise to the throne. He had known dark days when he had been hated and humiliated and despised. And we experience much of the same. It's been confirmed by our experience as, as Christians. We've all experienced and, and will experience adversity and affliction in life. We've all dealt with, with illnesses and injuries. We've dealt with betrayal and the loss of loved ones. We've experienced dark valleys and the threats of enemies. And not only that, but if we look at the stories of the people of God throughout the scriptures and throughout church history, we know that many of the faithful experienced the difficulties of loss and persecution and, and martyrdom and many, many sufferings. And yet, David says that even in the midst of those difficulties, the Lord protects us. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What does that mean? Well, the shepherd's rod and staff were his tools to do two things, to keep 
the sheep on the right path, and to fight off predators. Shepherd's staff was, would be used to discipline sheep and to keep them on the right path by guiding them toward the right direction that they uh, should go in if they should begin to wander off. And the rod is used to, to count sheep to make sure that all of them are protected or uh, accounted for. But when a wolf or a lion comes, those instruments become weapons with which the shepherd fights off the attack of a vicious predator. You see, even in the afflictions and adversities of life, even in the valley of the shadow of death, which we will most certainly face in life, the Lord's protection means that he keeps us from wandering off his path and keeps us from being destroyed by the enemy. In other words, even though the Lord sometimes plans or permits affliction and adversity to come into our lives, he always preserves us in his salvation and always keeps Satan from destroying our faith. The Apostle John speaks of this very protection in 1 John 5.18 when he says that we know that everyone who has been born of God, everyone who has been received the new birth and, and received the new life of God within them, does not keep on sinning. They don't continue in unrepentance. They don't wander off of God's right paths. But he who was born of God, speaking of Jesus and his resurrection, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. See, even while you face hardship, if you are truly his covenant lamb, you will persevere in the faith because your shepherd preserves you and keeps you eternally secure. Although you may have the tendency to wander off, although the world may offer you constant temptation seeking to cause you to wander off from the right path, although Satan and demons and every power of hell may oppose you and seek to drag you away, you cannot fall away while the omnipotent God is resolved to keep you. You are perfectly protected by your God and your shepherd. God is your shepherd. He is present with you. He is piloting you. He will provide for you, and he will protect you always. You don't need to be overcome with despair and hopelessness because your soul has a shepherd. Your soul has the shepherd, and you can trust him. Now, as we conclude, you might wonder how this shepherd can be yours and how you can be shepherded by him. And thankfully, Jesus gives us clear instruction regarding this matter. In John 10, Jesus tells us that he is the good shepherd. If you want to be shepherded by God, you need not look further than Jesus. And he is the good shepherd who, who he says, who lays down his life for his sheep and takes it back up again. He dies for the sheep to save the sheep, to forgive the sheep, to gather the sheep. And he rises again to be with the sheep and to protect the sheep from what can truly harm them. He says there in John 10, specifically in verses 3 to 5, that his sheep are those who listen to his voice and who follow him. And so if you want to be one of his covenant lambs, only listen to him and follow him. First, you must listen to his voice. That is what Ingmar Bergman wanted to do in the story we looked at in the beginning, wasn't it? 
He wanted to hear Christ while in that cathedral and looking at that painting. Here's the thing, though. You need not rely on grand visions wherein Christ speaks from paintings and the like. You only need to look at his word. Here is where he has spoken in his word. Here is where he has called out to you. Here is where he has provided to guide you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You must listen to his word. For as Moses says in Deuteronomy 8.3, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His presence, his piloting, his provision, his protection is found here through his word and by his spirit. You must listen to his voice. But then we, we not only listen to his voice, we, we follow him. We must not only listen to his voice, but we must apply it to our lives. We must not only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, as James 1.22 says. By his grace, he has furnished us with every necessity to equip us to do so. Christ has given us his life. He has given us his flesh and blood. He has given us his resurrection power. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us new life. He has given us the hope of eternal life and of the resurrection of the body and of the new heaven and a new earth and an eternity with him in his house forevermore. You don't need to live like a sheep without a shepherd. The Lord will give you his presence. He will pilot and guide you. He will provide for you and protect you. Only listen to his voice and follow him. And then you can say with complete hope and confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for providing Christ, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and who takes it up again, that we might be forgiven, set on paths of righteousness, that we might be provided for and protected. Thank you that he rose again, that we might be guided and protected and guided into your house to dwell with you in your presence forevermore. And Lord, we pray that you would give us assurance that this is the gospel truth because Christ is who he is and has done what he said he would do. Help us to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.